Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. All right, this is a fresh, my pastor friend from, one of my best friends in this world, Norman Gray from India. One time we were out preaching, and he goes, this is fresh bread from the oven. <laughs> and this is what it is. I just got this this morning, so I'm excited about it. Let's, if you've got your Bibles, and up on the huge screen here behind me, 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. These chapters in Kings 17, 18, 19, almost to the very, the, the end of 2 Kings and the first five, six chapters of 2 Kings is some of my favorite uh, Bible stories. It's, it's Elijah, it's Elisha, and I just, I just love those two, especially Elisha. I just, I just love, I just love the story of Elisha. But we're going to start in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, all right? So as soon as it comes up here, we will start. All right, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, saith unto Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel at the time. So remember, at that time, the kingdom was split. There was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So he was the king of Israel. And he said, as the Lord of God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain in these years, but according to my word. So he goes to the king, and what's, what's incredible is, is this is the first time we ever hear about Elijah. This is what we call in the Bible, it's called a suddenly, where suddenly something just happens out of nowhere. It, it, in the first 16 chapters, you don't know anything, and all of a sudden it's like Elijah the Tishbite is here. He goes to the king, and he says, it will not rain according to my word. Now, that's pretty bold. So immediately it says, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that come that that is before Jordan. So he releases the word of the Lord to the king. All right? He's not going to the side guy. He's going to the top guy. He says, it will not rain. And immediately the Lord says, get out of here and go hide. All right? I'm going to preach a message today by the authority of the kingdom of God called victory in worship. Okay? Victory in worship. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just glorify you and we just thank you. God, I thank you for your extravagant love. I thank you that we cannot even comprehend how much you love us. If we were to understand how much you love us, we would walk different, we would talk different, and we would love different. So, God, I just ask for your love to continue to flow in this house, even as a river, Lord God. And I ask for the unction and the utterance of your Holy Spirit to declare this word with power and with authority, that even at the trembling of your voice, that we shake and we are healed, delivered, and supernatural miracles can flow. So we honor you for this victory that we have in worship, God, and we honor you for it in Jesus' name. And the church, all the church shouted amen. So once again, I love this because sometimes we, we get caught up 
in the gifts of the Spirit, and we forget that there is a Lord behind it that is moving. Because so many times, we even, even with the prophetic, we see the prophetic, and we see the Old Testament prophets and everything they did, and remember that it, it was just a, they're glimpses of people's lives. And something that I always joke around of is like, can you imagine being David in heaven? And they're always preaching on all his sin. You know, oh man, David, you can be good because look at David. He was terrible and he was still loved by God. And David's up there going, <laughs> what about Goliath? You know, well, let's talk about that again. So we look at all these giftings, but there's something behind it. So the Lord, you can see by this, that the Lord was already dealing with Elijah before Elijah stood before the king. There's always a preparation. There's always a pruning. There's always a fire that comes before standing before the king. Elijah is ministering to the Lord. Elijah must have been in a very secluded place. He must have been like a John the Baptist. And even when you read Old Testament and New Testament, that, that's, how, that's how it is for Elijah. It says John the Baptist came in what? The spirit of Elijah. Because Elijah must have been gone. He must have not have been routing around in society. But when he came into the place that God says, Now, son, it is time for you to speak. All the authority that God had given him all the pruning, all the rebuke, all the correction now came to the place where he goes, stand before the king and declare my word. And then he steps in front of the king and he says, it will not rain. I don't know about you, but, but I stay away from prophesying dates and times and intimate circumstances unless I know the Lord is speaking. I don't think they would mind me sharing, but I was in, in Tina Overstreet's office at Whitaker Bank, and Dwight still had not come to the Lord, and we were, we were sitting there, and the Spirit of God came in, and, I, and we began to pray, and the Lord prophesied and says, I shall save your husband within two years. And I remember as soon as I said it, I went, hmm, hmm. And I remember I walked out of the office, and I started looking at a calendar. Obviously, I was looking at a calendar a lot better than I was looking today. But I'll never forget that, that six months, eight months, 12 months, one year, 13 months, 15 months, 16 months, 18 months, 20 months, 21 months, 22 months. I remember working on a Saturday and I was, I, was, I was doing loans Monday through Friday, and then I would go out to the branch and be a teller on Saturday. And I remember I would work in her station. And I was sitting there working in her station, and the Lord says, write a little note, and says, your redemption draweth nigh. And I went, no. He said, write on a sticky note. And put it on her computer now. I was just going to leave it on the pad. But then he goes, put it on her computer. Your redemption draweth nigh. And now, now write, I am hearing your prayers for your husband. And I went, no. I left that day with the blasted sticky note on her computer. With exactly what it was said. I believe it was 23 months. 
she called me and says, Dwight has been saved. That's like, woo, yeah. That was some of the worst 23 months of my life. Elijah comes before the king, says, it will not rain until I say it's going to rain. But he came and says, as the Lord liveth in whom I stand. He didn't come up there with false bullets. He didn't come there shooting blanks. He came by the authority of the kingdom of God. And when he came, he said, as the Lord liveth, before whom I stand. Listen to this, stand has various relations, but listen to this. It means to appoint, to arise, to confirm, to continue, to dwell, to be employed. It means to establish, to ordain. It means all these things. It means that he has been appointed for this. That's when he says, but, but before the Lord who liveth is who I am here, I have been appointed by God to declare this word. But see, the word doesn't end there. Because it ended up being three and a half years before he said it's time to reign. And if you remember the story, remember they're on Mount Carmel. And he gathered all the prophets, and he rebuilt the altar of God. Fire came, remember? Fire came, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the altar, consumed all the water that he had dug in the trench. It literally says in the King James, and it says, and God licked the trench. And then it says, he says, get on your horse, Ahab, because there is a sound of an abundance of rain. And remember it says he started praying and he told his servant, he says, go out there, tell me there's a big old cloud. Guy goes, yeah, there ain't nothing. He goes, oh, okay, go again. The seventh time, the servant at this time is just walking, he's not even running. He comes back and goes, well, there's a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. And that's when Elijah said, ooh, the Lord the Lord in whom I have been appointed. The Lord who has confirmed me. So many times we're trying to get confirmed by people. We're trying to get confirmed by mom and dad. And listen, parents, we have the authority to declare over our children. But the purpose of us declaring over our children is to speak the word. Is to declare the word. Because when they hear that, when God speaks and appoints them. When God speaks and confirms them. When God shows them who they are. They're going to recognize his voice because we have been declaring it for years he stood up and says go, go it's about to rain why because I have been appointed for this but I always go back like with that word about Dwight I always go back I remember I remember my spirit was so grieved of saying God what you, you have got to do this I would beg God. I know God wanted to save him it wasn't that but there was a burden on me that says, God, I got to pray. I got to keep praying. When it was 12 months later, you know, within two years, who knows next month would have been within two years. That would have been great. But God is so specific. That, that's why he didn't say in two years I will save him. He says, no, within two years I will do it. He just chose to do it 23 months and three days into it. But it caused something in me 
to realize that, that I, I stand before the Lord who lives. He has established me. He has called me. And I know that that was his word. But it didn't stop me from praying. It didn't stop me from plowing. And it caused me to pray for Dwight. It caused me to pray for Tina and for Sylvia who have been praying for his salvation. It caused something in me that I knew the enemy was trying to come against it. But I saw the victory. Because the victory was his salvation, right? And I remember how I felt during that time. I felt so broken. I felt so vulnerable because the flesh says, well, gracious. You know, I spoke that to Tina. She's spirit-filled to the core. She knows the Lord. Well, God, if this doesn't come to pass, what am I going to look like? And I started looking at me, and he says, son, pray, because this whole word ain't about you. It's about me. It's about me bringing my son home. And then he says, tell you what, go to James. So I said, okay. I went to James, and he showed me this. James chapter 5. Kind of a famous verse of scripture, if you can say that. James chapter 5, verse 13. Says this, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry or is any happy? Let him sing psalms. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's why we got oil here. We don't carry oil because it's a Pentecostal thing. We carry oil because it's a biblical thing. Okay? We're not here for denominations. We're here for the kingdom of God. Verse 15, listen to this. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's how, that's how God deals with sin. We deal with sin like, oh, my goodness, they're in sin. Get them out of the church. We can't have them sing because we're all perfect since we're on stage. So we can't let anything happen. God says, tell you what, if they need healing, let them come. We will pray, anoint, let's have faith. They're going to get healed. And tell you what, their sins, yeah, they'll be forgiven too. Do you know that man is the one who condemns people of sin? It says the spirit convicts, but man condemns. And that's the difference in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the difference between the spirit and the enemy. One condemns you for your sin, and one convicts you of saying, man, there's hope out of this. Come get healed today. Come be forgiven of your sins today. And God, his love will reign over you. Now listen to this, verse 16. This is the tough part. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. That ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now look at verse 17. It's talking about this prayer, the prayer of faith. Elias, which means Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah isn't up here and we're down here. When I, when I, listen to this, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And he, when, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth brought forth her 
fruit. Listen to this. He's just like us. He's got passions just like us. He, he's, he's suffered just like us. He's encountered things just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. When I prayed that prayer and I spoke that word, I know I was in the Lord. I know that I stand before the Lord, that I have been appointed by God. But when I prayed, it was, I felt this, Elijah felt the same things. When he woke up the next day and there was cloud cover... Because if you're going to declare to the king that it will not rain until you speak, if it rains the next day and you didn't speak, who knows you probably didn't speak for the Lord. For three and a half years, Elijah is gone. Do you see now why? The Lord says, get out of here. Because if you're still walking around the block, walking around the city... And it rains, people be like, oh, okay, it rained. But when Elijah left, when he hid and he's gone and nobody can find him, that means if it rained, his word was false. Why do you think he's in the cave being chased for his life by Jezebel and saying, God, I just want to die? I'm telling you, he was praying every day, God, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain, God. Don't let, they're going to think I'm false. They're going to think I'm fake. Don't let it rain. He was praying earnestly. He kept praying. He didn't just shout out a word and walk away. Church, we need to get into a place where we can not only pray for our loved ones, but, man, we have got to pray. We have got to pray for real. When it says effectual, fervent. It means to be active. It means to be efficient. It means to show in a mighty way. It doesn't mean post it on Facebook and ask people to pray and then count the likes. It's like, ooh, I've got 85 likes. I've got 85 prayers. No, you don't. Okay? Because just to prove my point, when you asked for prayer, I just liked it and walked away. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. But see what I'm saying? It's like when people walk up to me in the grocery store, Kimberly hates going to the grocery store with me. Because the whole time I'm just going, Lord, who needs you? Lord, who needs you? And Kimberly says, we need to get out of here. But we're just sitting there. And somebody comes up to me. And Kimberly stops the cart and goes, and they'll say, hey, Patrick, do you care to pray? Listen, I'll forget. It's going to be real. So I say, tell you what, can we pray right here? And so they'll, usually they'll go, look at me weird for a second or three or five and then say, yeah, sure. So we just pray right there because I'm going to forget. We need to be praying for real. People want prayer, man, let's pray right now. Elijah prayed fervently. It's talking about fervent prayer. It's talking about consistent prayer. It's talking about mighty prayer. And then it goes into saying, man, he earnestly prayed. When, he, when, it said, uh, when it says Elijah was a man like that, and he prayed earnestly. Listen to this. Earnestly means prayer and it means worship. It's an orator. You're praying. You're worshiping God. See, we need to worship. When I look back at that time when, when, when that word was delivered to Tina, 
I remember there was times that I was on my knees and I was declaring God, declaring his love over Dwight. And I was worshiping God. To pray isn't just, oh, I'm going to pray. No, it's to worship. Because when we worship, when we worship, don't you feel victorious when you worship? So what about worshiping when everything is coming against us? What about when there's still the, the problem is still there? What, what, if, what if you're still in the midst of the battle and God just says, tell you what, how about we just worship? How about, how about you worship like it's already done? See, the victory is in our worship. It's not this prayer that we just give out to God. It's not this Facebook post that we just throw it out there and everybody types in praying, heart, 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 still hand, still hand, hallelujah hands. It's not about that. It's not about that. God, God is into relationship. That's something that, that is difficult with Facebook is that it has eliminated relationship because everybody is bold on Facebook. Boy, when they type it on their phones, they are so bold, they are so strong, but when you see them in person, they look the other way and just walk to the other aisle. It's eliminated relationship. It's eliminated connection. And what it's done is we think if everybody else prays, that means, oh, I'm praying too. No, we need to get back to the place of worshiping in our prayers when we pray. Pray to God. We begin to worship like we already have it. Like we are glorifying him even though it's still a mess. We need to get back to real prayer. Which is we're petitioning God. We're, we're, we're orating to God. We're speaking to God. But it's done in worship. Because that's where the Father finds us. Right? In John 4, it says the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth, meaning in our pain, in our suffering, in our hurt, it's time to lift up and start worshiping. Now look at this. This is what the Lord showed me this morning. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus. He just did communion with the disciples. He just had the last supper. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Gethsemane means the oil press. We all know the story of Gethsemane. He's praying and he's crying out to God saying, if there is... It's the greatest humanity of Christ. You know, yes, it, Jesus wept with Lazarus, and he had compassion upon people, but this is literally, he, he, the cup of suffering is before him. He knows that the greatest violence that will ever touch the earth is about to happen to him. Because when I was caught up in drug addiction for 10 solid years, Everything that I had done wrong was about to be placed upon him. Everything. The wrath of God for my sin and your sin was about to be taken out on the Son of God. And he is praying. And he's sitting there going, God, if there is any other way, 
if this cup can pass for me, if there's any other will, but not mine, thine will be done. He is in the oil press. He is about to be crushed, but oil will come forth. When he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, Praying is literally an extension of the last word. It means to pray and to supplicate worship. It's to make prayer. Jesus says, listen, I'm in the oil press. I'm about to be crushed. I'm in the greatest battle of my life that literally I know I will lose my life. But tell you what, you stay here. I'm going to go and worship the Father. Here's the incredible part. In, 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 in James 5, where it says, Elijah prayed earnestly. That prayed earnestly, that's a noun. A noun is what? A person, place, or thing. So Elijah prayed in a certain place. But when it says, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go worship. It's a verb. It means it's, it's active. It's flowing. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to worship in my battle. I'm going to win victory in my worship so that now you, when you need to pray, when you need to come, you just stand in one place because I have already won the battle for you. Worship is our victory. Why? Because he already did it for us. It seemed that Jesus lost. Literally, it says the people of this earth would have never crucified the Son of Glory if they knew the plan of redemption from the Father. They didn't know. But it was in that worship. Literally, it says in in the Greek definition, it says this is a verb where earnestly in James is the noun. And it literally says, earnest in James comes from this Greek word. Where usually the noun is placed, and then the verb comes from the noun, but this one it switched. It says, because of what Christ did, now we can do here. So usually we have a noun that says now, now the verb is an extension of this, but it says no, not with Christ. Because when he prayed, when he worshiped God in the midst of the battle, he did it in a way that everything else is set in a place that we have victory already. It might not look like that now. It might be tough now. But we've got to go back to the place of praying, but then worshiping God while we pray. And finding the victory when everything else seems to be destroyed. God is looking for a people. He's not looking for church signs. He's not even looking for church services. He is just looking for people who declare that in the midst of their battle, I'm going to worship because he's already won my victory. I'm going to battle like I know who won. I'm going to walk in it like I want. We had, we had Ezekiel, then we had one miscarriage, and then we had two miscarriage. But guess what? I'd walk in the house from work, and worship music would be in the back room. Kimberly would be sitting there, tears flowing from her eyes, and she would be worshiping God. She's worshiping in her pain. She's worshiping in prayer. And I knew right then, I said, oh, my God, we will have more kids because this is what gets God's attention. She's moving in faith, in victory, but she is still in the battle and I joke around we had another kid and she flew out of the womb and she has not quit running yet 
Third kid, man, we didn't pray as hard. I said, don't play that worship song. Don't play that one. Play a slow one. You know? Don't play, come running, come running to the mercy seat. I said, turn that off. That means the third one's going to run too. Place it here at your feet. The battle was won. I remember walking in the house and I heard worship music. And I'll tell you what, I don't know why it is. But Jesus was, was, was bent down. He was down. Nobody. The disciples were sleeping. The church is sleeping. The body of Christ is sleeping. But the sons and daughters of God, they are alone, and they're praying, and they're worshiping. They're saying, oh, the womb will be opened again. Father Kimberly's womb would be opened again because my worship here will cover her worship here in the middle of the battle. He's crying great tears. I don't know what it is, but worship in tears breaks heaven wide open. The enemy says you're crying because you don't have faith. I says, no, I'm crying because victory has already come. Daniel began to pray. And the angel was blocked by the prince of Persia or the principality over Persia. And the archangel Michael had to come and to disarm the principality so the angel could give Daniel the answer. And when the angel showed up, I believe this is Daniel. I don't know what it is. It's somewhere there in Daniel. When he came, he says, listen. I was sent the day you prayed. I was already sent. I was dispatched already. Daniel didn't know that. What he did was worship. And what's beautiful is Elijah and Daniel, they prayed in a way that they were already stepping into what Christ did because the Bible says Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. I don't know where you're at, but I know where we need to be, and we need to be in worship, because worship is our victory. Our victory is in our worship. When we pray, they're not just praying, they're not just, Lord Jesus, we thank you and we glorify you. Can you change this, this, and this, and can we change him? He's annoying me. Can we change him? Because if when we begin to worship Listen to this. When we begin to worship, we're exposed to God. And in worship, he begins to change us to become like him. God is sick and tired of the church trying to make him like us. Okay? That's why you got 50 different churches and denominations, because everybody wants to change one thing to make God look like them. I don't want God to look like me. I want to look like him. And if it takes me being Pressed and crushed like oil in Gethsemane. Tell you what, in my Gethsemane, when I face my Gethsemane, all I want to do is I want to worship him. Because when I worship him in my battle, when I, mess, when I worship him in my crushing, my victory is won because he has already done it for me. Church, we need to change how we think. We need to change how we live. We need to change how we walk. We need to change how we do church. And start walking boldly and worshiping in our battle. What's up, baby? Hi. At least I got one person coming to the altar. 
Where are you at today in your battle? I ask you not to drop the sword, but I ask you in the middle of your battlefield to take your sword and kneel down and just begin to worship and pray earnestly. Why? Because he prayed earnestly, continuously. He prayed in action so we can stand, person, place, or thing. I'm, I'm kneeling in the place where when he was crushed as oil, as an olive press, when he did that, I stand in the place where he won victory. Because when you read Isaiah 53 and you go through that he was bruised, the father bruised him, brought joy to the father to bruise him. It's because you and I would be healed. You and I would be saved. You and I would be delivered. And that we could begin to worship in our battle. That's where we need to be. This right here is where the church needs to be. This is where the body of Christ needs to be. Because if we're down here, if we're worshiping in the battle, we ain't got time to critique nobody else. Because we're having encounters with God. He's very distracting for some people. I love it. I love it. It's time we get off the podiums, we get off the pedestals, and we get back into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we start worshiping God. You want to know what sets people free? It's people who have been in the olive press. It's people who have been crushed, but their worship sounds. Their worship echoes all of earth. Stand with me today.